Would you pray with me? Living, You loved us. Dying, You saved us. Buried, You carried our sins far away. Rising, You justified freely forever. And You are coming again. The Gospel, Lord, that, that is our delight today. That is uh, the single most precious reality as we gather to celebrate today. There's nothing more changing in our lives, nothing more inducing of joy and passion and life and praise. We love You, Father. Thank You for sending Your Son. We celebrate this great gift today. And we, we, want, we want to please You. We want You to be honored in our worship today. Thank you for these songs that point out this gospel reality, this, this truth that has changed us. And I pray, Lord, that you would work now as I proclaim this truth from your word. Move in power. Open eyes. Change hearts. Do what only you can do. We look to you now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, kids, you can be dismissed to go to your class this morning. Thank you, teachers and helpers. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in the singing. One thing we do is sing. We have reason to sing, amen? We have every reason to sing. In fact, we have every reason to sing forever, and we will. We will. I was invited to a concert uh, downtown in Bellingham from a uh, the Smith family, they had an extra ticket, and uh, we went down, and we were in this, this, this concert hall with uh, a number of believers, and we were, we were following uh, the praise of God as Jeremy Camp was singing on stage, and uh, he did a song titled Overcome. You might have heard it, Overcome. It's been out for a while, and I was absolutely stirred at my core with the, the content of that song, the biblical content of that song, and the joy it was to sing together with the saints. And so I came back and I said, Jesse, this Easter, man, this Easter, I think this should be our theme. The theme would be overcome. And so I, I come to our text this morning and I want to uh, call this to mind on Resurrection Sunday, the, the Sunday that we gather to celebrate that Jesus has, in fact, overcome death. He is alive. And all that that means, Resurrection Sunday. I titled my sermon, Invincible Victory. It's invincible victory. I want to build this out, this overcoming work that Christ has accomplished, and then what it means for us and, and how it affects our lives as those who trust and follow and obey and rely upon this victory that Jesus has purchased for us. And so, my main text is 1 John 5, 4 through 5. I want to read that here, and then I want to build this out by throwing all kinds of verses at you this morning uh, so that we will see these verses just come alive. John writes this in 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is it that overcomes the world except 
the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So you see the word overcome repeating through this. It was a fascinating word that just stirs through this, this section that John uses. But what's amazing is this word overcome shows up all throughout the New Testament. The word overcome is nikao in the Greek. That's the verb. It means to conquer or to overcome, to prevail. Now, some of you might recognize this very uh, commonly known Greek word because in our day, it's Nike, right? Nike or Nike. And so I couldn't help but think of this swish. And I found buried in my props an old basketball shoe that I used to play in when I dazzled my, my beloved on the basketball court with my athletic prowess back in the day. But I spray-painted it gold. And I love gold spray. Look at that. That is just beautiful. Uh, then I had to have my mother-in-law paint the swoosh on it. Uh, ironically, these are not Nikes, but don't tell anybody. Okay, I, I was a poor college, you know, Bible student. I can't afford these fancy Nikes, so I got the cheap ones. We just painted the swish on, but they're gold, and here it is, right? Nike, this is victory. You strap shoes on like this, and you are going to be an overcomer. You are going to prevail. At least that's the sales pitch, right? That's why they named the brand that. It's been very successful. So here, the golden shoe is going to rest on the pulpit because in this right here, it's the, the shoe of triumph, of victory. The, the Nike meets the cross. That's what this weekend is all about. Friday was Good Friday in that the payment was made in full. Christ died on the cross, but that's not the end of the story. If that was the end of the story, we would be to be pitied above all else because we have a dead Savior. Who can do what? Nothing, because he's dead. As every other world religion knows, because all of their saviors are dead. But our savior is no longer dead. He has Nike'd. He has Nike'd. Now watch how this word kind of moves into this verse then as you read it. For everyone who has been born of God, Nike's, Nike's, the world overcomes and this is the, here's the word again, this is a victory, Nike, the noun. This is the Nike that has Nike, that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that Nike's the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, one of my goals is that you will no longer see a pair of Nikes the same. Ever again. Now, I'm not endorsing Nike. They're not paying me to preach this sermon. I just think they've got a killer brand, Okay. That's a perfect brand when you think about Easter, what Christ has done. He is the victor. And so I want to consider, before we move in up close and consider what Christ has done, we need to first establish who is the opponent, who is the foe, what is it that he has conquered, and what implication does it have for our lives? Who are our great opponents? This is a summary. Sin. Sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This room, I hate to break it to you, but this room is filled with sinners. There's no one in, in this room 
that can say that they are not a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us here. We are sinners. Sin is anything that flies in the face of the righteousness of God, of His holiness, of His character. Anything that would come against that, pull that down, seek to take it and glorify me. My will, not yours. My rules, not yours. My way, not yours. Traces all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, right? I give you all of this garden, but this tree, this tree is mine. <laughs> where, where did we go? We had all of this, but we collectively, right, in Adam and Eve, we took of that tree. We disobeyed. And in their act of disobedience, we fell. Now we are sinners at birth. We are conceived in sin, born in sin, slaves of sin, lost in sin, darkened, alienated, under the curse of God for our rebellion. Blinded by Satan. Blinded by Satan. Our great foe who is so much stronger than any of us. Left to ourselves, we don't stand a chance. We're slaves of sin, blinded by Satan, and headed toward death, certain death. None of us can say here, oh, death, that's no big deal. On our own, we're all dying. Why? Because death is part of the curse. The day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will die. It is true. Spiritually, dead in that moment. They lost whatever life there was spiritually, and physical death began at that point and everything has been sliding down since then. Why is the world such a mess? Genesis 3, our rebellion, the curse of God. By the way, the righteous response of God to our disobedience. Death is not only of grave concern. It's what comes on the other side of death that is the most fearsome reality, the wrath of God. Hell is the place that sinners rightfully go to be punished by God in perfect justice forever. Does that show you how serious sin is, that it is punished by a righteous and holy God forever? This is a big deal. Now, we would like to live our lives and ignore all four of these. We would prefer to just create our own reality and try to negotiate this world and, and, and just assume it's going to just be okay because I tried hard enough. I'm, I'm a good person compared to this person or that. The problem is we, we're all of us lost. We can't compare on this plane. We are held to the standard of God, His righteousness, His holiness, and we all fall short of the glory of God. If that is not a serious problem, a serious foe. It's like taking the court. It, it would be like me taking the court and going against the all-stars of all-stars in the NBA, the greatest players who've ever played. They would look at me and be like, you, oh, you're by yourself? Really? The scoreboard would explode and I would have zero on my own. That's like the game that we're attempting to win here. We are certain to lose. We are 
bound and, and, and it's a guaranteed loss on our own. There is no victory. There's no being good enough. There's no works that are going to overcome these foes, these enemies. They're too great. Hmm. But there's good news because there is an overcomer. There is an overcomer. The first point I want to consider on your sermon notes is the overcomer, Jesus Christ. I want to look at how he and his life and his ministry, his work, and uh, what he accomplished that we celebrate this weekend, how it meets us in our situation. First, you can write this in, Jesus Nike'd sin and Satan. He won the victory. He decisively conquered, overcame sin and Satan. A few references to, uh, to call this out. Jesus tells his disciples this, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have, here's our word, overcome the world. I have Nike'd the world. But what does that mean? What is the world? The world is the system of sin and darkness that we live in. It's that which we are born into. There is good and there is evil. And when I look around, I see a lot of this. Frankly, it's a little overwhelming. Jesus knew the tribulation. He knew what it was like to live in this world. That's the Christmas story. God sent His Son to come to be born of a virgin, to take upon Himself human flesh, to live His life as a man on our level here. But He lived differently than any of us could ever imagine. He was born with no sin. He lived with no sin. And in the face of total temptation, none of us can say we have been tempted by Satan. We're not that important. I hate to break it to you again here. Uh, Satan has bigger things to work on than, than any of us. However, Jesus went head to head with Satan himself. I just read it in my devotions the other day. Uh, the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness just as he begins his ministry. Satan himself comes and tempts him at the point when he is the most weak. He's gone 40 days without food or water. He is, he is just weary physically. That's when Satan strikes. And he brings these temptations. Each temptation, a, a, a stealthy, lying, slippery, snake-like offer to tempt Christ himself to sin. In each of these, Jesus responds from the book of Deuteronomy, it is written. It is written. And he stands his ground. And he makes his way through that temptation in total reliance through the Spirit on the Father, digging and clinging to the Word, the promises of God. Satan is forced to flee. No sin in this Savior. No sin here in Jesus. Hmm. Listen to how the author of Hebrews says it. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. No sin in this Savior. 
However, he, he understands what it's like to, to live in this flesh, to, to go through this temptation, to live in a broken world, to, to have the frailties of human flesh and all of these things, and yet he paved the way for us. He overcame the world. He overcame sin. He overcame Satan. Listen to the implications here. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us our trespasses. How? How did he do this? How is it that a righteous and holy God can forgive sinful, guilty people their sins? Can he just say, oh, no big deal. I'll just look the other way. That's not just, is it? You, you cannot have a God who is God and good who excuses sin. He has to punish sin. Retribution, perfect according to the standard of justice. So where does he take that punishment? He takes the record of our trespasses and he cancels it. How? By nailing it to the cross. He nails it to the Son. He puts His Son on the cross and says, all of the sin of these who have offended me, infinitely, I pour out that wrath upon my substitute sacrifice for them. Wow. It's legal demands. What does it demand? Death and eternal hell. Who does it demand that from? God, the Father. That is what justice would require for our infinite offense against Him with our sin. And God in His great love sent His Son to take our place and pay for our wrath. To die the death that we deserve and to be buried. But the third day is confirmation that that sacrifice was perfect and accepted. The resurrection is evidence that, in fact, the Father God said, I am pleased, debt paid in full. Forgiveness now can be granted on the basis of that sacrifice. That is the resurrection we celebrate. A Savior who only died is no good to us. A Savior who died sinless, offered His life up, and then was raised. That's victory. And that is hope. Colossians 2.15 He, the Father, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. How? How did He do this? By triumphing over them in Christ. In Christ, in Him. This, this work of Christ on the cross was not only a, a conquering of all of our failures and offenses, this work of Christ on the cross is the victory that literally shamed Satan, the accuser of our souls. The one who would stand and, and say, no, no, they're guilty. Look, they did this, they did this, they did this. They're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. And he would have good reason I know my sin. He has a whole bunch of things to point out. For my life, he could stand there for years. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Sentence him. 
And the Father says, forgiven through Jesus. Wow. That's good news. The second thing Jesus has done in this great triumph, this victory, is that he Nike'd death and hell. He Nike'd death and hell. Let's consider this up close. So sin and Satan, yes. Death and hell as well. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days he will rise. This, this is the call to worship today. This is Jesus saying, this is why I'm here. This is my mission. This is why I came. This is, I'm going I'm to tell you beforehand so that you don't forget. When this happens, don't lose heart. Doubting Thomas, be encouraged. This was part of the plan. This was never, uh, oh boy, what do we do now? This was exactly the plan of old. That death would be placed in the crosshairs and killed by Jesus. Jesus killed death. He killed it. In triumph, he Nike'd over death just as he said he would, such that we can sing and say and read, oh, death, where is your Nike? Where's your victory, death? You think you're going to triumph over this? We take the court now totally different, don't we? We come in wearing the shoes of victory. Where is your victory, death? Is that all you got? Really? Where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the Nike through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can look at death and laugh. Why? Because of Jesus. He's, he's overcome. Now, I want to build this out a little here. I think this is amazing to see uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, he says, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's a, that's a great question. How would you answer today? What would be your answer from, from your heart, from the way you live your life, day in and day out, throughout the year? What's your answer? Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Simon Peter replies this way. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God has, has opened your eyes to see me for who I am. What is he saying? Someone blinded by Satan cannot give that response. You, you won't say that. You look at Jesus and you'll say, I'm maybe a good prophet, maybe a holy man, just a man. Just a man. Only those whom God opens eyes and, and helps them to see with, with the eyes of their heart through faith, to see Christ for who he is. That's the only way you're going to answer that way. My Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And then he says this. 
I tell you, you are Peter. Petros, Rocky is his, is his, is his name. And on this rock, it's a play on words, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what does that mean? I think a lot of times, for instance, the Catholic church puts an over-warranted emphasis on Peter himself as the rock. I think Jesus is saying, listen, Peter, your name is Rocky. And I want to tell you what the foundation stone of my building of my church will be. It will be this message that you just spoke. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. That's the gospel. That is the foundation stone of the church of Christ. Who builds the church? Jesus builds the church. He builds his church. Every single individual at a time, he is building a church, building a temple, building them up day by day, week by week. Think about this. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, that's a weird way to say it, isn't it? Because the last time I checked, gates are not an offensive weapon. You don't get attacked by gates, do you? What do you do? You attack gates. We play offense. The gates are holding people. Satan is keeping them pinned, trying to keep them in his grip. And we storm the gates of hell with the good news of the gospel. Those who are blinded by Satan, lost in their sins, we go and through the power of Christ, we bring this message and we bust those gates down. They won't prevail. You want victory? You can't find it more explicit than that. The very gates of hell will cave. Those who are heading that way, choosing the path of hell, living in their sin, running toward hell with all their might, will not stand when this good news of God's grace meets them and overcomes them with love and grace and changes their heart. That's our mission. So we come now to the overcomers. That's all of us. Because we have an overcomer, we, the, <laughs> the, the, the weak ones on the court, we, the puny short guy on the court, looking at these skyscrapers, these all-stars, we walk out on the court with these shoes on, and everything changes. It's like you just call a timeout. Hold on, timeout. Um, Jesus called a timeout. He said he's got some shoes for me. And you sit down and you strap these shoes on and then you set foot on the court and it's all different. It's totally different. LeBron James, you got nothing now. Right? I'm coming for you. Because I have the shoes of the overcomer. Watch this. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes. Nike's the world. Born of God. And this is the victory that has Nike'd, that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith in who? Is it our strength that we bring to the table? I'm just so strong. I have such amazing faith. I am going to squash the opponent. No. We come weak and feeble with faith in the victor. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes? That's the faith. Who believes 
that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who has overcome. Wow. Huh. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have invincible victory. It's not just sure. It's not certain. It is invincible. There is absolutely no way this will go wrong. This will fail. This is certain, sure, and it is invincible. Come what may. Death. Death becomes a door I walk through. I, I get to see him face to face. What? What else? Paul says it this way. We are more than conquerors. More on that in a second. We are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus, who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, or anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Invincible. I, I don't know how else to say it. That's invincible. That's what it means. But, but Paul has to take it more, more than just overcomers. He says we're more than conquerors. So, so Nikeo isn't enough for Paul. He wants it more than this. And so it's like, this is what it means. It's uh, hupo Nikeo. It's overwhelming victory. It's, it's to prevail superiorly, to defeat surpassingly. This is the invincible victory that we speak of. When I root for my favorite teams, I love a good blowout. I don't want it to be close. I want to squash the opponent. With Super Bowl... I want it 45 to 0. I love that. I like when that happens. When my team dominates on both sides of the ball. When LeBron James plays, I like the score to be well up in the 120 or 30 range. That's what we have here, friends. It's a blowout. It is no contest. This is not even close. So do not fear Satan. You see what we're saying? Because of me. Because of us. Because of him our Savior, our victor. We don't fear Him. We prevail. What is it that we fear? We fear the Lord. We seek Him, obey Him, chase after Him, please Him, trust in Him, rely upon Him. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. That's certain victory. It's sure. We're going to win. Now, the battle is raging, but the war is won. So that today, yeah, it's on. Game on, right? Battle. Let's go. We fight. We stand. But the war is won. It's just a matter of time. Satan is defeated. He's disarmed. He is shamed. What does he have? To put it another way, this. Hebrews says, we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do your worst. What, kill me? Is that the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that we win big. That, that's what I would say. The, the worst Christian, one who places faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, the very worst that can happen to you is that you win big. There's nothing short of certain triumph and victory that is coming. 
through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said it this way, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Which one would you like to choose? Persecutor, opposer of the gospel, imprisonment? You're going to kill me? I win. I get face to face with the Lord when I die. I don't fear death. Death is a door. What are you going to do? Oh, the foe that I used to fear runs in the face of this kind of victory. That's the, the joy of church history as you study. The people don't know how to handle Christians like this. You, you can't shut them up. And then if you kill them, you give them exactly what they are most excited about. Meeting the Lord face to face. And the blood of the martyrs serves to be the, the seed that spreads the gospel. In part, that's why we're here today. Because of those who laid their lives down. Listen to this, Revelation 12. They have Nike'd, they have overcome Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb, the work of the cross, the victor who accomplished their salvation, and the word of their testimony. What's that word? I'm trusting in Him. My faith is in Him. He is my victor. And because of that, I am invincible. And so, they loved not their lives even unto death. Wow. Christian, this is your reality. Don't be discouraged. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by what seems to be increasing hostility, persecution around the world. We see just darkness, and it seems to be getting worse. But I want to encourage you today, as dark as it might get, we win. We win. The war is won. It's just a matter of time. Christ is building His church. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. A response this morning, Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that with all my heart. I'll die for that. I don't fear anymore. I don't fear. I don't fear Satan. I don't fear sin because it has been broken. Its power has been broken. Its presence soon. It's presence. I still battle sin. Still battle in the power of the Lord. But there will be a day where that sin will be a distant memory by the finished work of Jesus Christ when he returns and takes us to glory. So, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. And what we mean by this is that he, in all of his sinless perfection, qualified to take our place as the innocent Lamb of God who took away my sin, right? He took away, he took on himself my sin in his atoning death. He paid for my sin and his victorious resurrection. And here's the thing, as we sang, he's coming again. He's coming again. And when he comes, he is going to gather those who've placed their faith in him together and they will be together forever. That is what heaven is. That is what joy unending is. By faith in Jesus, his victory becomes our victory. His triumph 
becomes my triumph, our triumph. Every victory we have in our lives traces back to his victory, isn't it? You see, we are overcomers because he is the overcomer. We Nike because he Nike'd. So, sin, Satan, death, and hell, if you stand on the court facing them on your own, you lose. It is certain, and judgment awaits. And I say this with great care this morning. Don't mess around and wait too long. None of us know when the last day is coming. None of us know when death will come face to face with us. Be ready. Be ready. Through Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. Through Jesus Christ, we are set free from the dominion of Satan and and set into the, the kingdom of God. Through Jesus Christ, we are victors over death with eternal life. I was saved when I'm five. That's when my eternal life began. And I'm never going to die. You realize that? Death is a door. Physical death. Yeah, I'm not going to die because Jesus is my life. And death is just a step into forever with Him. Heaven. Relationship. Joy. Once your enemy running breakneck to the fires of hell. Now, your child, your son, adopted, brought in, waiting the glories of heaven. I want to just ask the question then, are you wearing your Nikes? Are you wearing your Nikes? What shoes do you trust in most? Do you think that the shoes that you're wearing will defeat the foe on your own? Or will you strap on the shoes of the gospel, Ephesians 6, by faith trusting in Jesus, the risen victor, the one who overcame? Listen to the future of all those who are wearing their Nikes. Listen to the future of all those who, through faith in Christ, are trusting him, come what may. This is what the future song will be. I want to just close with this. After this, I looked, John writes in Revelation, and he says, Behold, a great multitude that no one could number, and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, here's our song. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Do you you Feel those words in your soul ring out that joy, that worship. It goes on. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these who are clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. He said to me, 
These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, their robes are washed white. The sins are taken away. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I long for that day. I long for that day. We're not there yet, friends. Could come soon. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ to overcome the world? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the victory that we find in this Resurrection Sunday. I pray that you would just impress upon us this overwhelming triumph that our Savior Jesus has accomplished. We give praise to you, Lord, for the gift and the provision of grace and love for we the sinners. We, we don't deserve this, Lord, but you have just lavished your love and your grace and your mercy upon us. You've saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless sacrifice. Oh, Lord, we admit how often we, we, we tend to think that we have to do something to try to earn our salvation before You. Oh Lord, forgive us for that. You call us to trust. Just trust. To place our faith in the victor. And in so doing, receive His victory. Lord, our foe is great and we dare not stand on the court alone. We trust Jesus as Savior. I pray even now that those maybe in this room who have yet to do that would, would today place their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, repent of their sins and, and, and run for forgiveness to the cross of Jesus Christ and find mercy and grace and life eternal. Make this the day of victory, I pray, in all of these lives. For those who already know this victory, Lord, make it even sweeter. An invincible triumph. An invincible victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.